You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Hey everybody, what's going on? Thanks for uh, tuning in to another episode all right, streaming and uh, downloading and all that good stuff. Thank you, guys. Um, we're going to continue here on a l- little bit more of let's talk about preterism. Whether everyone out there is interested in it or not, you know, there's a couple. So <laughs> just another little short thing to explain it a little bit more. Um, and we've, let's see here, we have talked about what the competing views and the like literal type of fulfillment audience relevance relationship of the old new testaments right and timing passages and the apocalyptic language that has been set forth throughout scripture so it's important to consider all of those things so um, we get to cloud comings now. Um, these are things I've talked about in the eschatology series, but it has it goes 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 hand, hand in hand with this. Before I start, um, I, I hope that there's some people who m- may dismiss preterism that will actually listen to these just to see what's going on. And um, for anyone out there, I, you know, I really wish I, I could do several of these. And I may just do it. I'd rather do it on the, uh, on, you know, for the the reasoning that people would show some interest and say they want more. But there's not much. Uh, <laughs> there's really not much uh, uh, interaction that goes on. Um, I guess. So really, feel free to comment on Instagram or on Facebook. Or send an email to say you want to know more, or if you have a question on something that I've mentioned and you just don't understand it entirely, or maybe I worded it wrong. Sometimes the way I uh, talk about things is not the most simplistic or best for understanding for some people, and I, uh, you know, I understand that we all have different ways to actually uh, take things in or comprehend them. So um, there is there is one person who I um, redirected to some other recordings and so that's what I wish if people are listening to this and you're thinking man this guy a little crazy on this stuff when it comes to first century context audience relevance and preterism in general um I, so, you know, he's my buddy, but he, he listens and, uh, it's sort of, you know, messed with his paradigm because it goes against everything that he's been raised 
you know, was taught as growing up and same, same with me. So, you know, I can relate with that. And so I'm able to understand that and be sensitive about it and say, I, I understand. <laughs> I went through the shock and, and all that stuff as well. So I said, here, um, check these out. And, uh, so I would suggest anybody, there's a lot of people out there that will have respect for certain voices within the church. A lot of people have respect for R.C. Sproul or Sproul. It's Sproul, I think. R.C. Sproul. They have a lot of respect for him. And uh, even though he may be Calvinist or Reformed in uh, his beliefs, um, we still cannot, you know, deny that he wasn't a good teacher. He was. Um, so he wrote a book. And I mentioned it in the first preterism thing. Um, he, I've probably mentioned it before, but he wrote a book called The Last Days According to Jesus. Uh, if you're not into reading the books, he did a, a series of lectures um, by the same name. And you can find those at his ministries page, Ligonier Ministries. Uh, I would just do a search on Google. Um R.C. Sproul, Last Days According to Jesus Lectures. And it should pop up on Ligonier's page, and you, it's 12 teachings, but they're about 25 minutes uh, twenty-five minutes long apiece. And you can work through those pretty fast if you want to, and in a day or in a couple of days. Um, so the reason why I'm suggesting that is one, you should not just have one source to get all your information from. You should take in you can take in many and, and consider consider uh, a handful of those, right? So I've obviously have read a lot of books on this and listened to a lot of um, sermons and whatnot and teachings and lectures and debates. And I've done it for a few years now. This is the view that makes the most sense. It's the one that is con just completely in line with interpretation of Scripture. It is, uh, it's just thorough. There's no exegetical gymnastics to be had. And it is, uh, you don't need a bunch of charts and graphs and things like that. It just... It says what it means. It makes sense. Okay, so, um, but RC, right? He's a big name. He's got a loud, had a loud voice, still will have a loud voice in the the body, and he's coming up against the criticisms of Jesus said he was coming within that generation. His contemporaries, including the apostles, seem to have thought he was coming as well, but the critics say he didn't. So it's a great, it's a great uh, reason for people to not believe in the word or the suffic sufficiency of scripture or to believe that Jesus, who he said he was. Now, that being said, it's do we always have to reply to the critics in, in that sort of way? No, don't have to at all. We still use the word to uh, combat that stuff if needed. I use that word combat loosely, okay? But... Um, my point is, it's R.C. <laughs> it's R.C., and here he is um, 
talking about preterism and he believes he struggled with it, but he believes in preterism and he's not, he's not full preterist. However, he was just walking a tight rope on it. He's so close and I've mentioned it before, but, um, I, for the life of me, I don't know which, which scriptures he held on to, but he only had a couple left that he held on to and said those still were to be fulfilled. So he would talk about this uh, a coming or a second coming as this second coming that's talked about in Scripture was the coming in 70 A.D., but it was not the final coming, all right? Those are still options for you when you come across this and you are wrestling with this topic. So if you Google, Google it or download even the, the Ligonier app, you can go to... Uh, studies by topics go into theology then hit last things and you will be able to find the last days according to jesus so you don't have to read the book but he does he uses the book as an outline for that for that and they're good it's very good okay all right so now that was a long long intro so now on that let's just talk about cloud comings because that is associated with apocalyptic language okay so um, and we know Jesus said he was, would come on the clouds. All right. Revelation one, seven says he is coming with clouds. First Thessalonians four seventeen, and with them in the clouds. Right. Um, Matthew 26, uh, Jesus, um, in 63, 64, it's probably 64, but Jesus said, you know, I say to you hereafter, right. It's actually soon. I say to you, soon you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So, if you remember the principle of audience relevance, um, we have to sit here and go, okay, how how did the first century readers uh, have understood this cloud coming language? What about the people that were just actually there in the midst while Jesus uttered these actual words? Okay, so also we consider that the New Testament was written mainly by Jewish authors um, <clears throat> to a predominantly Jewish audience. So we realize then we have to, to again, seek to understand how cloud-coming language was used and how it was understood by them. All right, so if you examine the Old Testament again, this is the that's the basis of Jewish culture and you will find the concept of God coming on the clouds as a part of their language. All right. So how, how was that used? It's often used uh, to describe uh, God coming in judgment of his enemies or deliverance of his people. So um, it's either or, and I have to adjust this. Sorry. It keeps slipping, sliding down there. Okay. Now, Isaiah Isaiah 19, 1, it mentions the burden against Egypt. Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt, right? There's Joel 2, 1 and 2. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. Uh, Zephaniah, it's in there too. It says uh, in, in chapter 1, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Okay, so, and there's plenty more 
there, but see, these were literal judgments or deliverances that occurred within these passages, but they were described figuratively with cloud coming language that God himself was never seen on clouds or on the earth, right? So this is the pattern that's been established by God in the First Testament or Old Testament. And Jesus said that he would come in judgment as he had seen the Father come in judgment. And he described his uh, parousia with a cloud coming imagery, then we should expect to see uh, that as the same way as the Jewish audience would understand it from the Old Testament. Um, so, which was that God was not seen when he came in judgment. But we all say that we're going to see Jesus floating down on, to earth <laughs> on a cloud. Okay. Now, there's the objection would be that while God's Old Testament cloud comings were described in this, this apocalyptic language, uh, the end of the world was, was uh, never predicted along with those judgments. On the other hand, Christ's return is to occur at the end of the world, right? So there's this huge difference or a significant difference between the Old Testament descriptions of God coming on the clouds and Christ's coming on the clouds because of that. But again, I've talked about this plenty of times, the phrase, the end of the world, um, really comes from the poor translation in the King James Version. Newer versions have corrected it, um, and it reads more accurately as the end of the age, okay? So just as the Bible never speaks of the end of time, it was not the end of the world that was expected to accompany the parousia of Jesus but at the end of the age, which is the Old Covenant age. So, um, and that, it, it, that comes from Matthew 24, um, King James. Um, and here, here's, the, here's the two versions, okay? The King James and the New King James, right? King James says, What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? New King James corrected it. And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? All right, so just as those time timing passages um, put this time indicator there, or these time passages sort of put this framework for his parousia to the first century generation, then they place the end of the age in that generation as well. First Corinthians ten eleven. Uh, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our our, as in first century audience, admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Hebrews 9, 26 and 27. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So this old covenant, right? The old covenant age was drawing to a close within the first century. And Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, right? The whole thing came down. It ended forever. So we have in 30 AD, Jesus weeping over the city and predicting its judgment within that generation. And 40 years later, the span of an actual biblical generation, the city was destroyed. So just as uh, 
God had used foreign armies to carry out uh, his judgments in the Old Testament. We see Jesus having done the same thing, using the, the Roman armies to come in judgment upon apostate Israel. Um, just as God's Old Testament judgments were described in apocalyptic language and comings on clouds, Christ's uh, coming, his parousia, was described in apocalyptic language and coming on clouds as well. And just as God is never was or was never seen by the physical eye during his judgments, Christ was not seen by the physical eye during that time either. So all of that then is to show that preterists then believe that the timing passages can confine or make a time frame with all eschatological fulfillments to the first century. They believe that this parousia um, that's described in the same apocalyptic and cloud-coming imagery and language um, of the Old Testament was fulfilled in the same nature as it was in the Old Testament as well. Now, like I said, there's some who, um, you know, will say that there's still one or two verses, but you can also say what I just said and say, I am not going to say that Christ isn't coming back. Of course, Christ comes all the time. The thing about second coming or um, final coming language is that it's not really biblical. There's a coming, and um, Jesus comes every day, right? Um, also, Jesus, even though his physical spiritual body left in the ascension, he did not leave them. <laughs> I'll leave you hanging on that one, but he said uh, he would not leave them. Um, what about where two or more are gathered? I'll be there in, in the midst, right? If he would meant the Holy Spirit, he would have said the Holy Spirit will be there in the midst. And he, he made several promises that he would never leave and he would be with the church. Um, sort of a paradox, but the physical, spiritual, resurrected body of Jesus ascended, but he showed up. He was still there. He had said he would still be there. He shows up to John on the island of Patmos, doesn't he? He looks completely different than when he did when he ascended. So he came then just to visit John and give him the vision, Right. So we put this limitation on this coming language, but it's not very biblical the way that the church has put it for the last couple hundred years. So where is the kingdom, right? Because many think that Jesus is supposed to establish an earthly kingdom upon his return. But Jesus did tell his disciples that the Holy Spirit would teach them the things to come and that the New Testament expounds and explains much of what was shrouded in types and shadows and hidden in mysteries within the Old Testament. And the New Testament never speaks of a future physical kingdom that's ruled by Jesus on earth. 
that was actually uh, that concept must be imported from Old Testament passages, which are then applied in a wooden, um, li- literal manner. Now, this is what I've had to deal with because I've always imagined uh, I've been was a preterist with post-millennial views that said the kingdom would grow and grow and grow until eventually Jesus returns, redeems the earth, and then here we are living on a redeemed earth. Now, that doesn't mean that's not going to happen. It doesn't mean it's not true. But to be uh, to be honest, you have to deal with what I just said. All right. Um, so it, it's a wrestling point there for myself, and I'm just being honest about it. So um, the point of last episode on preterism and this one is just to give you the actual overview of it. Doesn't mean I'm 100% on board with every bit of it, because that's one thing I wrestle with okay so um while the jews and samaritans then debated where exactly one was to worship god we can recall jesus telling the woman at the well that the hour had come when neither in jerusalem nor in samaria would true believers worship rather god was to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And this is in John 4. So Christ came to establish this kingdom, but it was a spiritual kingdom. It wasn't physical like the Jews wanted. It wasn't like that at all. You know, everything the Jews expected the Messiah to come and do, um, Jesus did it opposite. (laughs) Um, And so I have to sit and ask, what if we're just waiting and acting the same way as the first century Jews had been acting. Um, We're constantly looking for signs of the times, looking and hoping for a return to establish an earthly kingdom when Jesus said it would come without observation. It was a spiritual kingdom, and it wasn't like an earthly kingdom in which the Jews had expected. So um, it, it was this spiritual kingdom in which Jesus rules and reigns, right, in the hearts of us, the believers, his people. And it wasn't to sit on a physical throne. So we remember the covenant with David that God made about his throne. So the Jews didn't understand the the, the typology and the mystery of all that was within the Old Testament. So they're looking for this literal king to rule and reign over a physical kingdom on earth. So, you know, they did try to take Jesus by force and make him king, but he eluded them, John six fifteen. But um, Jesus came preaching the kingdom, and the kingdom, kingdom he had in mind, um, if the kingdom he had in mind was physical in nature, then why did he, why would he have rejected the efforts of the Jews to make him an earthly king? Right, so like the Jews, uh, yeah, just what I mentioned earlier, like the Jews of Jesus's times, as much of Christianity of the church today is directly applying Old Testament passages to Christ's kingdom without having rightly interpreted them, uh, with the inside of the New Testament. So, so when you take the first episode in this one, all of that, those are the, all the tidbits of it into consideration, then the logic of preterism starts to come into focus and that the majority if not all 
of the references to Christ's coming or return was um, was taught and expected within the time frame of the first century generation. And it was foretold in the same type of language used in the Old Testament because um, to foretell national judgment. So while this language spoke of these all these astronomical type of signs and cataclysmic, uh, destruction and whatnot, and God coming on the clouds. There was never any evidence of any of those things that actually took place, or God ever uh, being seen with the physical eye. So this parousia, or this coming of Christ, is described in the same language, and we see a fulfillment in the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem uh, in seventy A.D similar to the judgments rendered upon the Old Testament nations that that we have looked at. So just, just as promised, that took place in that generation, 40 years after Jesus actually prophesied it. All right, so um, while there is that biblical, ample biblical precedent of apocalyptic and cloud coming, um, language being metaphorical in nature there's no biblical precedent for redefining any of these time statements and trying to force them into the the future 2000 years removed right um so time time statements like the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must must shortly take place and behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even though even they who pierced him, right? All of these, these statements cannot both be taken in a strictly literal sense, all right? Um, so one or both must have meant to be to be taken non-literally. Preterism feels that the biblical precedent establishes the metaphorical use of the apocalyptic language and cloud coming language, while time statements are then to be understood by their natural meanings. All right. So obviously, all this was just a just a short summary of it to to help you if this is something you're taking into consideration. But you don't take my word for it. Go listen to RC. <laughs> and don't just listen to RC. Study these topics, examining the scriptures to see if these things are true. Um, like the Bereans did dil dil diligently when they were listening to Paul. They were searching to, to see if the things he said were true. Searching the scriptures daily. As always, uh, any questions, comments, disagreements, send them my way at the Kingdom Project Podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, be a mustard seed, be leaven. Thanks for listening. <laughs>